Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pray for our time in the Word and let's dig into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, we just finished Galatians. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the whole counsel of God. And now as we come to Ephesus, I want to take Ephesians, I want to take a few minutes to talk about, uh, the, to understand the context. You take a text out of context, so I get left to con, can I get an amen? And so we want to understand who this letter was written to, and the heart from which it was written, and what, was, what is going to be dealt with in Ephesus. By the way, if you don't have an outline, they are on the back table, I want to encourage you to grab one. So, this is one of the four prison epistles and this just think about this as, as we're going through Ephesians and we hear how Paul is speaking, he is sitting in prison in Rome for his faith. And I think a lot of us, if we were sitting in prison, uh, we wouldn't be writing letters filled with joy. Can I get an amen to that? We would be whining and moaning and complaining. Maybe, maybe not all of you, but some of us, amen. And especially if we feel like we're, we've been serving the Lord faithfully, and so Paul's sitting in prison, and he actually writes four letters while he's in prison. The other letters are uh, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And you know, Barnabas is called the, the son of encouragement, and he was a great encourager. And I love the apostle Paul, because even as he is suffering, he is encouraging those in the, in the body of Christ. And that ought to be our heart as well. So it was written about 60 to 62 AD. Ephesus was a very wealthy port city where all the trade in the region had to go through Ephesus. And so this was a place that was very wealthy. It was very busy. It was very crowded. But you know what? It was also a city that was very godless. They were known for their idolatry. And their, their main idol that they worshipped was a goddess by the name of Diana. And the goddess Diana, that now in just recent times, they've uncovered Ephesus, and they believe that the, the temple to the goddess Diana was the largest temple ever built in human history. And so they were very much into the worship of Diana, but here's the problem. Diana was the goddess of, of we got people in, goddess of sex, basically. And they literally had temple prostitutes, and that's how they worshiped. You get a lot of people coming to worship when you do that, if you're, if you're pagan, amen? I mean, temple prostitutes, you can invite your friend, yeah, they show up. But here's the reality, is this place was so godless, and in the midst of this very wealthy and very immoral city, there had been a church planted. And this church that had been planted is, is attempting and desiring to be salt and light to this very wicked city. Does that sound like California? Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that we are called to be salt and light, to a very wealthy but very godless place. And we're going to see that as Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus, a place that a church, another church that he had helped in planting, a place that he had visited back in Acts 19, and he had spoken out against the goddess Diana. And if you guys remember in Acts 19, when he spoke out against the goddess Diana, do you remember that they wanted to arrest him? And do you remember that they shouted for, for two hours straight, great is the goddess Diana, great is the goddess Diana. They were just shouting at the top of their lungs, because how dare Paul say that Diana is a false god? But at the same time, some of the people came and gathered up all of their idols and they gathered up all their books to their false gods and they burnt them. They set them on fire. 
Now the people that got the, the people whipped up were there. There were silversmiths who made silver Dianas. And they would sell them. People would come to worship and then they would sell them. And there were, they may have even been pornographic images that were being sold and took it home and put in people's houses. Well, when you speak against Diana, you were speaking against the money all these guys made. So they got all the people whipped up to cry out, great is the goddess Diana. You know what? It doesn't matter how many times people shout it. There is only one God and his name is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And when people shout whatever they want from the top of their lungs, it doesn't matter how zealous they are. They can be zealous and wrong. And we see that all over the world today. People want to shout us down and quiet our faith, and and they want to talk about the gods of this world. And the truth is there's only one true and living God. The shrine served as a center for the cult, a worship of this uh, multi-breasted, grotesque idol included uh, like Aphrodite and Corinth, the use of temple prostitutes in their worship, and again, the talk of the gospel focusing on the word of God was, having a, was cramping their way of life, and so they were attacking Christianity. Ephesus became a place of pilgrimage for worshipers, all eagerly carrying away souvenirs, kind of like good luck charms. And we, we look at that and we think it's crazy, but when I've been to India, I've been to India seven times, and when I go to India, I've been there several times on the high Hindu holiday of Diwali. And when you're there, they literally are selling gods on the street. And you can get them in different sizes and shapes and colors. And you know, one of them is Lakshmi, the, the six-armed goddess of wealth. And you can get a, a purple deity that matches your drapes. And then you can take it home. And, and I remember I was walking by and a guy hit a table and a bunch of Lakshmi's fell over and broke on the ground. And I, I just said out loud, you know, if your god can break, that's not much of a god. Can I get an amen to that? But that's Ephesus. They had their little statues that they carried home with them. And as Christians, we don't have a statue we carry home. We have a spirit of the living God who dwells inside of us. Amen? We don't serve a dead block of wood. We don't serve a piece of uh, artwork created by a man. We serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And guys, we should not keep that to ourselves. Amen? So as he's writing this letter to Ephesus... Just imagine how they're living, surrounded by all this idolatry, all these temples to these false idols, and the largest temple of all to the goddess of Diana. And here's this Christian church in the midst of it, wanting to live out loud for the Lord. And Paul's writing this letter to encourage them. Now, as he does in all of his letters, Paul always begins with what we believe. So the first three chapters, we're going to see what we believe, and then the last three chapters, how we behave. So when these are, an epistle is just a letter, and Paul writes this letter to the church, and when they receive it, we're going to start today with chapter one. This is what we believe. This is what we know. And then the last three chapters now, because this is what we know, this is how we live. Amen? So what we believe, and then how we behave. So after Paul had performed miracles and taught against Diana, and cast out demons. Many of those who practiced witchcraft, as I said, brought their books and burned them in the sight of all. And still others, again, got people whipped up. And we got to Acts 20, Paul exhorted the elders in Ephesus, proclaiming that he had held nothing back by teaching both Jew and Greek repentance toward God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Acts chapter 20, whenever I'm asked to teach pastors, this is my favorite chapter. And it's the chapter where he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And you know what? 
for a pastor, for someone who's called by God to be innocent of the blood of all men, they must be faithful to teach the whole counsel of God, which tells me that Paul had taught the entire known word of God in Ephesus. So they've been taught the word, they know the truth, but they're surrounded by idolatry, they're surrounded by great wealth, they're surrounded by a lot of distractions. Boy, is that California. Can I get an amen to that? And guys, we're being taught the Word of God. I promise as long as I'm here, I mean, we're going to teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? And meeting with the rabbi and others, they're like, well, you know, we might have some... I said, we're going to have huge conflicts in what we believe. There's no might about it. Can I get an amen to that? And, and well, we're worried that you guys might proselytize our people. I said, well, if they show up on Thursday or Sunday, they're going to hear that the Messiah they've been waiting for is Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And you know what? And they're very liberal in their, the way that they do. And we're not. Well, the way you do same-sex marriages, I don't do those. We're not doing those, amen? But you know what? I'm glad we're going there because, guys, we're not to hide our light under a bushel. Can I get an amen to that? We want to be around people that need to hear about the love of Christ. And you know what? They're very loving. They, they're excited for us to come. The first Sunday that we're there, the rabbi's going to come to our service. And I'm going to introduce him to all of you guys. And he's going to sit in the front row and squirm a bit, probably. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but the reality is that, guys, in the midst of being surrounded by the world and being surrounded by temptation and being surrounded by those who don't believe, God has called us to be salt and light. And the church in Ephesus, that's what they're dealing with. And so Paul writes this letter to them because it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to chase after the things of the world and lose sight of who we are in Christ. Ten years later, Paul's now a prisoner in Rome since he's helped plant that church, since all the great is the goddess Diana. Ten years later, now this letter's being written, and he writes to his beloved friends in Ephesus, his focus is never on his own circumstances. Again, this blows me away. You don't see him complaining. You see him encouraging. And I want to say this as Christians. We really don't have anything to complain about. Can I get an amen to that? Are we going to heaven? Are we going to heaven? Are we new creations in Christ? Have we been forgiven? How blessed are we? What do we have to complain about? Apostle Paul sitting in prison. He focuses on the spiritual needs of the church and to share great truths the Lord taught him about Christ and the church. Though Ephesus was known to be a region of great wealth, Paul desires to place the focus on spiritual wretches rather than temporary ones. See, we can get so caught up in pursuing the wealth of this world that we miss out on the true riches that we have in Christ. Guys, the greatest riches we have are the ones that will outlast this life. Amen? I've yet to see a hearse pull in a U-Haul. Can I get an amen? You know, when you die, you come in with nothing. You're going to go out with nothing. The only thing that's going to matter is what have you done with God's Son? The Bible says in Luke 12, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in your career. Now again, we should do our jobs as unto the Lord. I have a full-time job. Do your job in a way that honors God. Can I get an amen to that? We should be the best workers in the building. And it's okay if God blesses us financially, but we need to recognize that whatever we have belongs to Him and is to be used for His glory, not our comfort. Can I get an amen to that? And so here's the exhortation is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It says in Galatians 3, or Colossians 3, excuse me, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So now he's going to point out as we begin Ephesians, our riches in Christ. And I want to give you, I don't use a lot of outside analogies outside of the word of God, but I read about this lady years ago and it's always stuck with me. 
There was a woman in, in, in 1916, she was the richest woman on the planet. Her name was Hetty Green. In 1916, she was worth over $100 million. Back when you could buy a house for 800 bucks, right? She was worth $100 million. She would be a multi-billionaire today. But she was legendary for being the cheapest person around. She had $100 million in the bank and in property, and yet she would not heat up cans of beans because it might cost one hundredth of a penny to heat it up so she would eat it cold because she didn't want to spend one one hundredth of a penny heating up her beans it got so radical that her own son got sick and he had a major infection in his leg and she you know these are horse and buggy she's going around trying to find a free clinic and she travels so much trying to find a free clinic that her son ended up having to have his leg amputated because she didn't want to spend the 20 bucks to see a doctor when she had $100 million. Now, guys, how valuable is $100 million if you don't want to spend it? And how valuable is, is you and I to have the riches we have in Christ if we don't tap into it? Can I get an amen to that? We have riches in Christ and we walk around like spiritual paupers half the time. Amen? We don't put our faith and our hope in the Lord. Lord, help us. Got some headies in the room this morning. Can I get an amen? So he addresses this group of believers who are rich in Christ. It says in Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, so many Christians today are living under a heavy burden. I talk to believers and they walk around just discouraged and fearful and depressed at times. And sometimes that, that's, you know, that, sometimes you need some medicine for that. I get it. But I'm just saying as believers, we ought to be different. Amen? We got the eternal lottery. We're going to heaven. Can I get an Amen. And we should live in light of eternity, and we should be the most joy. What we just saw two weeks ago on the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. Amen? And so I think that when we walk around discouraged and depressed and fearful and anxious and worried because we forget about all the riches that we have in Christ. Amen? The world we live in today could only hope to have what we have, and they never will unless they give their lives to the Lord. Amen? No amount of money, no amount of of sex, drugs, rock and roll, no amount of of physical pleasure, there's nothing that can fill the the void that can only be filled by the one who created you. Amen? So I want to encourage all of us this morning with the riches that we have in Christ. So the first three chapters, we're going to talk about our position in Christ, and then our practices as Christians. If you have your outline, grab it. We'll go through this quickly and then we'll dig into the text. I want to say that in this chapter, in this book, the key phrase, it's, on, it's, in the, it's in this small letter 35 times. In Christ or in Him. In Christ, in Him. In Christ, in Him. In Christ, in Him. 35 times. Because guys, our riches are found in Christ. They're not found in us. Can I get an amen to that? They're not found in our talent, our abilities. They're not even found in our country. They're not found in our possessions. They're found in Christ. They're found in Him. It's all about Him. Amen? And we're going to see in this text, in Him, over and over and over and over again. And this is going to be extremely practical. And I pray we all leave here different than the way that we came. Can I get an amen to that? Oh, 
If you have your outline, if I can find mine, here it is. This is a pretty simple outline. And I'm going to have you repeat it a lot as we go through the text this morning. Our riches in Christ. You know what's great? In the first, 11, in the first 14 verses, we're going to see 11 things that we have as Christians. Riches in Christ. We're going to see the Trinity, the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And these are blessings that are in our lives as born. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you recognize you're a sinner, you've, re- you've asked God to forgive you, you put your faith in Him, you become a new creation in Christ, we're going to see these 11 things. First, the work of the Father, election. We'll talk about that. The work of the Father, He's blessed you, He's chosen you, He's predestined you, He's adopted you, and He's accepted you. Then we're going to see the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He has enlightened you. And he's given you an an eternal inheritance. And then finally, we're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit that he has sealed you and you have the assurance of eternal life because of him. So we've been blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, given an inheritance, sealed and assured. Can I get an amen to that? And we're going to go through those one at a time. And we're going to take a look at the riches that we have in Christ. We are so wealthy. And we're wealthy where it matters. Can I get an amen? So let's begin there in verse 1. He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. He, 10 years earlier was when the, the great debate came when he spoke up for the truth of who God is. And now he's writing back to the church to encourage them. It says there, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle means one sent out with a commission. To be an apostle, they had to have seen the risen and living Savior. Pastor Dave's opinion, I believe there are 12 apostles and that's it. People today will call themselves apostle. I'm worried about you already. I've guys, I, I'm, I'm an, I've, people call me, I would like to fill in on your church next Sunday. I'm an apostle. Well, neither one of those is true. Amen? Not going to happen. Because the reality is, you're not an apostle. There's 12, the Bible talks about the names of the 12 apostles in heaven. That means there's 12. And I believe Paul took the place of who? Judas. Judas, no longer an apostle. He denied the Lord, betrayed the Lord. So here we have, he's an apostle. Apostle means one sent out with a commission by God. He was commissioned by uh, the Lord who came and spoke to him as he was on his way to uh, Damascus to attack more believers. And his calling was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to teach, teach the great truth concerning the church. And again, he can speak with an authority. Now, Paul doesn't brag about being an apostle because he wants to focus on him. He mentions he's an apostle because that means he has authority that comes from God. And you know what the authority is for us today? It's this book right here. Can I get an amen? The authority isn't a man. The authority is in the word. Now, if we preach the word, we can have authority in preaching the word. But when we get away from the word of God, there's no authority that any man has. Can I get an amen to that? It's the word of God is the final court of authority. This is the the place that everything must be compared to. And Paul did not choose his occupation. Notice it says there, by the will of God. People say, how do you know you're called? Here's what I'll tell people. If you can do anything else, you're not called. Because when you're called by God, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel, the apostle Paul would say. And when God has a calling, he stirs you up. It's a get to, not a have to. Amen? 
I was talking to the rabbi, they're saying, yeah, we have a hard time getting people to do anything at church. And I said, you know, my problem is I have people coming up every Sunday going, what can I do? What can I do? I need to do something. What can I do? How can I help? What can I do? And I said, you know why? Because when you've been saved and you're born again, there's a desire to serve. Amen? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. Amen? And so Paul says, look, by the will of God. Now, I also believe this. I believe that the regular jobs that we have and the, you know, the things that we do in life right now is by the will of God. If you're a mechanic, you're a mechanic by the will of God. If you're a full-time mom, you're a full-time mom by the will of God. Amen? If you're retired at home right now, praise the Lord, you're retired by the will of God. If you're a student, you're a student by the will of God, which means that God has you there in the place you're in today for a reason to be used for His kingdom and for His glory. Can I get an amen to that? So it's by the will of God that we are where we are. You know, it makes you look different about work when you show up knowing it's your mission field. Amen? You feel different when you're walking through the neighborhood when you recognize this is my mission field. Pray for divine appointments and watch what God will do. I had had four divine appointments on one day that were all so radically put together by God that I just drove home like amazed. And one of them, I was on the phone and I couldn't talk because it kept putting my GPS directions over the phone call. So I pulled into a gas station just so the GPS would stop talking. I couldn't get it to be quiet. (laughs) Tried to shut it down. It wouldn't stop. So I pulled over so I could hear the person I was talking to. And I pulled in this gas station seemingly by random chance. I realized, well, my tank's kind of low. I'll go ahead and put some gas in. I get out and I had a Calvary Chapel shirt on. The guy behind me goes, hey, where's Calvary Chapel? We ended up talking by the gas pumps for an hour and ended up praying with them. Guys, we just want to be available. Can I get an amen to that? By the will of God, he'll put us in places where we can be used. And I'm, you know, and look, I'm thick. I wouldn't have said anything to him if, he, if I didn't have the shirt on. It kept me accountable. Can I get an amen? Where's Calvary? Jesus? Hey, we want to tell people about Jesus. Now notice what he says here. An apostle by, of Jesus Christ. Notice again, whenever he says it's of Jesus Christ. We're not apostles of of a denomination. We're not apostles of men. We're not apostles of a country. We're apostles of Jesus Christ. We're not apostles, but we're children of Jesus Christ. Amen? Children of the King. Now notice what it says here. To the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints. Now, that ought to clear up what a saint is. Did he write this book to dead people? What's the answer? So people have conditioned us to think that a saint is somebody who lived a perfect life, which there aren't any of those people, and they maybe performed some miracles, and now we got statues to them, and we call them saints, and we wear the medallions around their neck. Can I encourage you? You know who the saints are? Raise your hand if you're a saint. You're a saint. You're either a saint or an ain't. Amen? You've either been born again or you haven't. And if you're born again, saint means sanctified one, one who is set apart unto the Lord. So guys, we are saints. We've been set apart by God. Now again, we're holy not because we're good, but because He's good. And He gets all the glory. So this letter is written to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, which means these riches we're about to read off only apply if you're born again. They only apply if you're a Christian, if you're a new creation in Christ. These things are only true of those who know the Lord. Then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're three verses in, and he mentions Jesus' name three times. Can I get an amen to that? Paul's never shy to talk about Jesus. I don't even like to talk about God. Let me tell you why. Because God can be Buddha. Amen? That term can mean the God of the new age. The term God can be used in a lot of ways. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. And it's Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? It's Jesus. It's his name. And notice he says grace and peace. Always as he begins the letter, notice his name's at the front. And here's why they're written on scrolls. So when they wrote letters, we write, you know, dear John, and then yours truly at the end. Well, they did just the opposite because otherwise you'd have to unroll the whole scroll that might be from that wall to that wall to find out who wrote to you. So Paul introduces himself. He's writing the letter and then he's writing it to the saints in Ephesus. And then he always says grace and peace and always in that order. You know why? Because it's only through grace that we can have peace. Amen? It's because of the grace of God, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's only because of His grace that you and I can know peace. Apart from the Prince of Peace, there is no peace. Does the world have peace today? Do do we see people getting whipped up about everything and fired up about everything and yelling and screaming about everything? Where's the peace? Well, they don't have the Prince of Peace. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Can I get an amen to that? We have peace. Because we know the Prince of Peace. And we're thankful for that. By the way, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not his first, middle, and last name. Can I get an amen to that? A lot of times people think, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is his title. It signifies our relationship to him. If he is Lord, what are we? Somebody said it. Servants. He's Lord, we're servants. If he is your Lord, you serve him. He doesn't serve you. And remember that next time you make demands of him in prayer. You're his servant. He's not yours. Can I get an amen to that? Well, I command you, Lord, that you have to. Oh, I don't command. No, no. Amen. You hear people doing that, right? And Lord, I command and I I tell you and I exhort you, Lord. No, I don't exhort the Lord. Humbly and broken before the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? He's Lord. His name, Jesus, Yahshua, means Jehovah is salvation. Is he salvation? What's the answer? So Lord is his title. He's the Lord. Jesus is his name. And Christ is why he came. Christ means Messiah. We're going to be moving into a building with people looking for the Messiah. Here's the good news. We know who he is. In my prayers, we get to introduce some of them to him. Can I get an amen? And by the way, we're going to make sure we leave on good standing. I don't know how long we're going to last over there. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Amen? Because we're not going to water down the message. Amen? We're going to preach the truth and we're going to be loving about it. And we're going to be respectful. We're going into their house. We're going to be respectful of it. Amen? And we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we love the Old Testament. Amen? But guys, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the letter's written to faithful saints. So let's first look at the work of the Father. The work of the Father. Look what it says here. Blessed be... The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with some spiritual blessings. Is that what it says? With every spiritual blessing. He has given us everything we will ever need, and He's giving us the things that really matter. Can I get an amen to that? We don't earn them. 
We don't deserve them. He freely gives them to us. He has blessed us, given us what we need for a successful, satisfying, and abundant Christian life. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Notice again, the blessings, though, are spiritual, eternal, and heavenly, not physical, temporal, and earthly. Can I get an amen to that? See, there's a a whole group of people, they call themselves, you know, the uh, prophecy doctrine, right? And it's the word of faith movement. And they tell God, you know, if you have faith, if you just have faith, you got to have faith, you're going to say Cadillac, 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 and there'll be one in your driveway. And by the way, I'd rather have heaven than a Cadillac. Can I get an amen to that? See, they're chasing after temporary things and and they're focused on the temporal when we ought to be focused on the eternal. Set your mind on things above. How many of you guys have ever bought a brand new car before in your life? It's actually kind of exciting for a a little while. Amen? New car smell, right? You get in that car. Oh, this is nice. I like this. Got a bunch of gadgets you never had before. Oh, I really like this new car. Sometimes you're even excited. I didn't mind the commute. I got a brand new car. I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And then and when you first have it, you, you go to the mall and you park way out <laughs> where there's nobody around you so you don't get a ding in your precious new car. Eight years later, you park it wherever. Guy dings you, hit, hits the back of your car to stoplight. You don't even worry about it, right? Amen? Why? Because over time, that which we treasure in this life becomes worthless. That new car, some of those new cars we bought have been smashed up and junked or, or sitting in a junk heap somewhere. And what was once so important to us is now so meaningless. And the reality is that's what's true about everything we pursue in this life. It's all temporary. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. People are worried about climate change. Let me clue them in. It's all going to burn. It's coming. Can I get an amen? But we don't worship creation. We worship the creator. We should be good stewards of the planet, but we don't worship mother nature. We worship father God. Can I get an amen? And so the exhortation here is, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Now keep in mind, they're sitting in a place surrounded by great wealth, and maybe they don't have as much because they're serving the Lord. And he's letting them know, they think they're rich. You're the ones who really are. The riches you have are eternal and will outlast this life. God's not going to ask to see your 401k on judgment day. Amen? He's not going to be worried about the square footage of your house or how comfortable you were. It's all going to burn. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. So he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Even as Christians, we can fall into the trap of viewing blessings of others from a physical perspective. Look at that guy's car, man. He's blessed. Look at, that. Look at that house that they live in. Boy, they're blessed. Now, sometimes those things can be a blessing from the Lord to use for the Lord. But I think sometimes we've missed out on what real blessing is. Amen? Guys, it's the eternal, not the temporary. Christian's life is centered in heaven. Do you know that this is not our home? Amen? This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. Our Father is in heaven. Our Lord and Savior is in heaven. And our attention and affection ought to be centered on the things of heaven. It's been said that some are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've never met that person not one time in my life. What I find are people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So the first thing that we see is we're blessed. 
Well, Pastor Dave, my car's old. You're blessed. You're going to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? I didn't get that promotion at work. You're blessed. You're going to heaven. Amen? You've been blessed. Secondly, look what it says here in verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. The second thing you are is you're chosen. By the way, have you ever been in something where you didn't get chosen? That's kind of a bummer. I remember, you know, you remember from like, you know, we'd have game, you'd, you'd play games during recess or lunch. And, you know, and, you know and, and it's always a bummer if you're the last one picked, amen? You know, we'll take the girl to cast and you can have him, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, and I would always feel, I would always feel bad for that guy who got chosen last. A lot of times, because I was pretty athletic when I was, you can't tell now, but when I was young, I was pretty athletic. And sometimes I would pick the guy who always got picked last just so he wouldn't be picked last. And, you know, they would come to me two years later and go, remember in sixth grade when we were playing dodgeball? You picked me first, you know? I still remember that. Guys, here's the good news. God chose you. And that's the, that's the time when, when, when being chosen really matters. Can we get an amen to that? We're not left out. We're not the last one on the end of the bench. You know what? The Lord chose you. You've been chosen by God. How valuable are you to the Lord? He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Amen? But I want you to notice how you were chosen. And this is going to be different than some of your theology, and that's okay. We'll agree to disagree. We still love each other. Can I get an amen? But it says you're chosen. What is the next two words? In what? In Him. He chose us in Him. See, He didn't choose us because we're good. He chose us in Christ. Amen? See, this is going to change your theology a bit, but when people say, well, they're chosen. Well, they're chosen because of who we are in Him. He didn't, and people, I'll even go this far. When he talks later about being predestined, he predestined all those who he knew would repent and surrender their lives to him. See, we're, we're predestined and we're chosen because of our relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? And too often people say, well, if you're not one of the chosen, then you're not going to be chosen. If you're already chosen, you can't, can't reject the choosing, so you're going to be chosen anyway. So I don't, you know, why should I share my faith with anybody? Because the people who are chosen are going to be chosen. The people who aren't chosen can't be chosen, so forget it. And there's this mentality, and we need to be careful, and some people will even be arrogant that they're chosen. I'm one of the chosen. Uh, Let me clue you in. The Bible says he chooses the foolish things of the world, so get over yourself. Can I get an amen to that? I'm one of the chosen one. You're one of the foolish things. God chose, not because we're good, but because he is. He chose us in his son. Because we're in Him. Here, here's the question for all of us this morning. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you in Him? Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? He chose us in Christ. Not according to my good works, but in Christ. In my flesh, apart from God, I am sinful and evil and condemned. But in Him, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I am holy and pure and without blame. Thank you, Lord. Notice what it says here. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. In His sight, in His presence, He sees us as holy. I hear people say this, and it's kind of that same theology I was just talking about. Look, when God looks at, his, at the church, He sees a vile, wicked prostitute. I go, what Bible are you reading? The Bible says in Him, we've been presented to Him as a 
pure white bride. Amen? He sees us holy not because we're holy, but because of who we are in Christ. We're married to Jesus. Amen? We're the bride of Christ. And because of that, we are holy in Him. Again, that term chosen, some say, well, did He choose some and not others? And what was the choice based on? It's all based on what you did with Jesus. Are you in Him? You're chosen. If you're not, you're not. That's our, amen? There's our free will that responds. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him. Amen? That means He desires that none should perish. No, not one. Men turned away and chose to follow Him no more. And at the same time, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So is it the sovereignty of God or the free will of man? Which is it? You meet people and they'll, they'll say, well, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes. Well, then you believe that man has no free will. No, I believe in the free will of man. Oh, I thought you believed in the sovereignty of God. I do. I believe in the sovereignty of God and the free will of man because the Bible teaches them both. Can I get an amen to that? Can God be sovereign and we still have free will? What's the answer? Absolutely. And so God is sovereign. God is in control again. And at the same time, God has given us free will. The finite man says either God chooses or we have free will, but the truth is we have both. That's what I love about teaching the whole counsel of God. Can I get an amen to that? When you teach the whole Bible, we're going to see both the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. Verse 5, having predestined us. Now there's a word that gives people a headache. It's a greatly misunderstood word. The Bible refers primarily to what God does for saved people. He predestined us to adoption. See, when he predestines, it's those who are in him. He is predestined before him. Those that are in him, these are the things that are going to be true. Because we're in him, we've been adopted by him. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? Predestination. The Bible teaches nowhere that men are predestined to hell. There's not a verse in the Bible that teaches that. But he has predestined for those who are in him many blessings. When the word of God is addressing the unbeliever, the focus is on the free will of men. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. When addressing the believer, the focus is on the fact that we've been predestined. What God chose in us before the foundation of the world, lest we take credit for what God did for us. See, we have free will, but God gets all the credit. Amen? And those who reject Him are accountable for their own choices. And again, we must never be arrogant because we've been chosen, because we've been chosen by God's grace. Election speaks of people. Predestination speaks of purposes. And, and God has predestined us and has gifts and directions for our life. Now notice what it says there. He has adopted us. Now I love adoption. We were adopted into God's family. I say this all the time if you're new here. This is a family in this room. Amen. And every time we get together, it's a family reunion. And that's why I hug everybody, because that's what you would do at a family reunion. Amen? If Jesus was here, he'd give you all a hug. Amen? So this is a family. You know why? Because we all have the same dad. And we've all been adopted into the same family. And I love the word adopted here, because you know what? Children that are given to us, we don't choose, but children that are adopted are chosen. Can I get an amen to that? He chose us while we were yet sinners. And he chose to adopt us into his family. And I love this because in those days, I'm not sure if it's still true today, but I wanted to investigate. But in those days, if you adopted somebody, you could never disown them. 
You know what that means? He's never going to disown you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? I've been adopted into his family. When Christ returns, his private adoption will be made public. One of the words for God is Abba. Abba means daddy. And daddy is someone whose lap we can crawl up into. Our God is not a faraway, distant God. He's our daddy who loves us, who desires to have intimate fellowship with us. I know I'm moving through these quickly, but time is moving. So time waits for no man, as my dad used to say. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Isn't it amazing that it's a good pleasure for him to adopt us, even though he knows every wicked thing about us? He knows us best and he loves us most. Doesn't that blow you away? He knows you and he still loves He knows the stuff nobody else knows that you don't want anybody else to ever find out. And he still loves you, amen? And it's his pleasure to adopt you. See, the enemy will tell you, you're no good, God doesn't want you. We're no good, that's why Jesus died for us. Amen? The enemy will condemn us with who we are in our flesh, and Jesus came to redeem us because of who we are in the flesh. Amen? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice what it says there, the last one in regards to the Father there in verse 6. To the praise of His glory, to praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the, in the beloved. So we're acceptable. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. There's nothing we, there's no works we can do. There's no ritual we can perform. There's no amount of Bible study we can read. There's no amount of prayer that we can pray by ourselves. Those are, those are good things, but there's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. We've been made acceptable by his grace. Grace is being given something you don't deserve. We don't deserve to be acceptable. We don't earn being acceptable. He makes us acceptable by His grace. He's accepted you. There's people that hurt, are hurting and feel like they're unaccepted by the world. And that might be true, but we're accepted by God. So the work of the Father. We've been blessed. We've been chosen. We've been predestined. We've been adopted. And we'd have been accepted by him. Boy, your day just got better, didn't it? Isn't it good to know who we are in Christ? That's the work of the Father. Election. He chose you. While we were yet sinners, chose us. Now we're going to see the work of the Son. Look at verse 7. In him we have, what's the word there? Redemption. The word redeem means to purchase, to set free by paying a price. In those days, there were six million slaves in the Roman Empire, but a man could purchase a slave and set him free. A lot of times, slavery came because the person had a debt they could not pay. And so to pay the debt, they would become the slave of the person who they could not pay the debt to. Some of us might be slaves to like Chase Bank right about now, so thankful that's not still the case, amen? But they, were, they couldn't pay the debt back. There's no filing bankruptcy, so they became a slave to the debtor. The one, who had their, the one that owned their debt. And what would happen is, they would have to work it off and off, and they would have to work for a lifetime. They were like never able to pay it back. Now what this word redemption means, is somebody could come along and say, Mike's my friend, how much does he owe you? He owes me $500,000. You write a check, Mike goes free. Guess what? We owed a lot more than that, didn't we? Our sin, can I get an amen to that? 
And Jesus stepped forward and paid the price for us. So we've been set free from sin, the death, and the grave. Can I get an amen to that? See, Jesus redeemed us. He paid the price for us. From slavery to sin and death, the world and Satan, and now we're new creations in Christ. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. He's redeemed us. Notice what it says there. Through His redemption, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, here's the important part. Salvation is a free gift, but it wasn't cheap because Jesus had to go to the cross. Amen? See, how did He redeem you? How did He redeem me? He went to the cross and paid through His own shed blood upon the cross of Calvary the price that you and I could not pay. See, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. See, Buddha couldn't go to the cross and wouldn't anyway, because even if he did, he was a sinner himself. He couldn't pay the price for you. Uh, Neither could Muhammad or Joseph Smith or the Pope or anybody else. Billy Graham. There's only one who could pay the price. The one who was perfect and holy and righteous and just. And he was the only one without sin, the only one who did not have to pay the price for himself, but he paid the price for you. What a great and awesome God we serve. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love the word forgiven. The word forgive there means to carry away. And you've heard it said that our sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. And that comes from, uh, there was something they did when they would have the Day of Atonement. They would bring out two goats. And they would kill one of them and shed its blood on the altar. They would take another goat And they would confess the sins of Israel upon this goat. And then they would send the goat away from the east toward the west. And they would have people stationed at different places. And as the goat went by, they yelled back, he's coming by. And they would wait to just keep going further and further and further away. And that's where you get the term scapegoat. It's in the Bible. And what happened was they confessed their sin and their sin was carried away to be seen no more. And that's why the Bible says he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. See, he's not even going to remember your sin anymore. Now, it's not because he forgets, but he chooses not to remember. Guys, we've been forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Our sins have been carried away. Aren't you thankful? Thank you, Jesus. One of Satan's greatest tools is an attempt to render a Christian ineffective in his or her calling through condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. Can I get an amen to that? So you've been blessed. You've been chosen. You've been predestined. You've been adopted. You've been accepted. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. Let's keep reading. Verse 8 which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Uh, The word I would use there, he has enlightened us. Do you know when you gave your life to the Lord, all of a sudden you began to understand what life was really about? Can I get an amen to that? Now that you know the Lord, the world's running around trying to figure out what life is about. What is the meaning of life? Oh, we're all contemplating the meaning of life. Let me clue you in. You ready? Ready? Here here it is. You ready? Jesus. That's it. Amen? Amen. He is the meaning of life. Oh, by the way, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no life apart from him. And he was before all things and over all things. He's always existed. Does that give you a headache? 
He's almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And guess what? While we were yet sinners, He died for us. And when we come to know Him, He helps us understand the truth. How many of you guys read the Bible before you were a Christian and it made absolutely no sense to you? You would read it and go, I don't understand. What does that mean? And I have, I have coworkers, they'll read something and go, I don't understand. This should be in another line. I don't understand this. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes. Amen? And that's why we study the Word of God, but we need the Spirit of God to help us understand the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Well, He has enlightened us. When you gave your life to the Lord, all of a sudden you read the Bible and the, it jumps off the page. And you can read the same chapter 10 days in a row and 10 days in a row, God will speak to you 10 different ways. Amen? Because this is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And guys, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, which means without God, there is no wisdom. You might have some knowledge on how to rebuild an engine. You might have some knowledge in how to do physics, but you don't have any wisdom when it comes to what really matters, and that's eternity. Amen? So we've been blessed. We've been chosen. We've been predestined. We've been adopted. We've been accepted. We've been forgiven. We've been enlightened. Let's keep reading. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in dispensation of fullness of times he might gather together in us all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. Notice again, in him. See, what makes us in common? We're in Him. All the blessings are in Him. We will be gathered together in Him. And it says, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance. Guys, we have an inheritance. Now let me ask you a question. If you had a rich great uncle or great aunt or distant relative that died and then they called you and said, you have an inheritance, is that something you earned? It's a free gift, right? Guess what? We didn't earn heaven, but it's a free gift that God's given to us. Amen? Notice it says, He has given us an inheritance. We've been given an inheritance. We have an eternal inheritance. We have a, we're heaven bound. It says, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Guys, we have an eternal inheritance. We're Christ. Do you know that we not only have an inheritance, we are an inheritance. The Bible says that we're that pearl of great price. You guys know the parable where they go, goes and sells everything he has to buy this one pearl. Sells all of his land, everything else he has. And guess what? The application for that is we're that pearl and Jesus gave it all so we could be his. See, we have an inheritance, and we're his inheritance. Doesn't that blow your mind? That you're the Lord's inheritance? You're his treasured possession. The value of a possession is determined by what someone's willing to pay, how much was paid for you. It's amazing to me that a sinful and wicked and separated man has become, we become trophies to his grace and to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen? So we've been blessed, we've been chosen, we've been predestined, we've been adopted and accepted, the work of the Father. The work of the Son, we've been redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and given an inheritance. And finally, the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's finish up, verse 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Notice again, in Him you trusted after you heard what? The word of truth. Now this is why our focus at Calvary Chapel, Calabasas, 
will always be proclaiming the whole counsel of God and preaching the truth and love because lives are not changed by seven steps to financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger or Beaver doesn't live here anymore in the series or the flying Walendas in the parking lot. Can I get an amen to that? The only way where lives are going to be transformed is the Word of God transforming the heart of sinful people who recognize that they're sinners in desperate need of a Savior who then surrender their lives to the Lord. God's Word does not return void, but the wisdom of man does all day long. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. That's the theme verse of our church because the Word of God is what transforms lives. I mean, my life's really, I'm struggling. I don't have any direction. How's, how's your time in the Word? Well, I, my Bible's around or somewhere. Guys, if we don't spend time in the Word, and then we wonder why our life is a mess. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But I want you to notice here what he says. In whom having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're going to go over a few minutes, okay? I'm going to finish the chapter. Can I get, I mean, the text. I've got one more verse, all right? Your team's probably losing anyway. Get over it. So here's, the so here's the reality. I love that the Holy Spirit seals us. And you know what that means? The Holy Spirit in your life is a down payment on heaven and is proof that you belong to the Lord. Amen? Literally, He gives you the Holy Spirit. It's like ownership papers. See, we confess our sin, we ask God to forgive us, He is faithful and just to forgive us, and then He gives us the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us, to comfort us, to convict us, but also as an assurance that we belong to Him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to heaven. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not born again. Amen? The Holy Spirit is either with you, in you, or upon you. He's with the world. They calm their conscience. When you're born again, He goes from being with you to in you. He now dwells in you. Now, guys, it goes beyond just, I have a burning in my bosom. That's what the Mormons say. I, I, I eat a chili dog. I get a burning in my bosom. Can I get him in? It's not just about an emotion or a feeling. Guys, but it's having believed in Christ and then being filled with this Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, doesn't He convict you when you sin? And doesn't he comfort you when you need to be comforted? And, does, and don't you know that he's always with you? And he never leaves you nor forsakes you? So we've been sealed. You hear the word of, here's the gospel right here. Hear, believe, sealed. You hear the word of truth, the gospel, that we're sinners separated from God, that Jesus died for our sins and paid the price. And upon our repentance and conversion, he seals us with the Holy Spirit. And that word sealed literally means branded. You know, people go out and get tats. If you're into tats, that's cool. I, not me, but some people like them, and that's fine. Three of my four kids are tatted pretty heavily. Okay. And tattoos are, you know, just a marking, right? That you want, and it always cracks me up. I'll take, I'll take the uh, Bugs Bunny right here. You know, I don't, I don't got to understand. Okay. But you know what? We're tattooed with the Holy Spirit. We've been branded. I belong to Jesus. I'm his. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, we've been branded by the Lord. We've been redeemed, forgiven, we've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, given an inheritance. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We've been assured that we're going to heaven. See, Christianity, it's not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Then you're not. 
Because here's the reality. We've been assured of our salvation. Let me read that verse again. The guarantee of our inheritance until he comes back. The redemption, when he, bring, when he comes back for us, the purchased possession, that's us, to the praise of his glory. You know what? The fact that he redeemed people like us is to the praise of his glory. Because he takes the foolish things of the world and he redeems us for his glory. Guys, aren't you thankful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Aren't you thankful that you have the, you've been branded, that you're his? I belong to him. Guys, he hung on a cross for us unashamedly. He's branded us for him. How can we keep that to ourselves? Amen? That was weak. Thanks, Anthony. Someone said something. Can I get an amen? God branded us. We shouldn't keep it to ourselves. We belong to him. You know, I've never been ashamed of my, my dad's in heaven. I was never ashamed of my earthly father. I love my dad. I was proud that he was my father. I love to introduce my dad to people. I love my father. And he was a, he was a flawed man, a godly man, but a flawed man. Guess what? Our heavenly father's perfect. Shouldn't we want to introduce everybody to him? Our savior, Jesus Christ, king of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, almighty God, how can we keep that to ourselves? Guys, he's willing to stamp us with his name, with his Holy Spirit, with the promise of eternal life. How in the world can we keep it to ourselves? Boy, a lot of stuff in here, huh? So let me say it one more time. The work of the Father. We've been blessed. We've been chosen. We've been predestined. We've been adopted. We've been accepted. The work of the Son. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been enlightened. We've been given an inheritance. And the work of the Holy Spirit, we've been sealed and assured. My prayer is you don't walk out of here without knowing for sure who you are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. I hope you walk out of here realizing how rich you really are. Guys, we'll never be spiritual paupers. We're rich because of who we belong to. Not who we are, but whose we are. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And we thank you for the riches that we have in Christ. And Lord, I thank you. We, we could talk about the riches we have in you um, for the next month, and it wouldn't be enough. But Lord, may we never lose sight. When we get discouraged or overwhelmed, Lord, when we begin to feel like we're of no value, may we, you remind us of Ephesians chapter 1 and who we are in you. Lord, I thank you that you've sealed us, that we have the promise of eternal life, that we belong to you, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. See, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. If you want to have the riches in Christ, you must first know Christ. You must first know the Father. The only way you're going to have the Spirit living inside of you is if you surrender your life to the Lord. And it's not joining a church it's not doing a bunch of good works. It's just recognizing that you're a sinner and saying, Lord, will you please forgive me? Believing that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead and being willing to say, Lord, you come and take the throne of my life. If you're here this morning, you've never done that. Don't leave here without the Lord. See, it, it's a no-so, but you gotta know him. It's your desire to surrender your life to the Lord this morning. If you've never made that public profession. He said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've never done that before, and you want to know today when you walk out of here, you're a new creation in Christ. You're ready to publicly profess, yes, 
I believe in Jesus. Yes, I want to surrender my life to him. If that's your desire this morning, just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray with you. Anybody at all. But today be the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for who you are and your love for us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand up and worship.